Hey, where are you going, Jim? The elevator's over here. Taking the stairs. But our meeting's up on 8. Yeah, I know. But that's eight floors up. That's like eight times eight. I don't A lot of stairs. That's the point. I've already lost a few pounds and earned almost $100 in wellness incentives. Whoa, you're getting rewarded for working out? Yeah, I know. I'm just as surprised as you are, Bob. Fearless is full of surprises. That's the power of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Federal Employee Program. Learn more about our healthy benefits and sign up at fepblue.org slash choose blue by December 11th. You are Locked On Packers, your daily podcast on the Green Bay Packers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And you are Locked On Packers. Hello, this is Bill Huber, the publisher of PackerReport.com. Part of the Scout.com network, which brings you some of the best NFL and college football coverage that you can find anywhere. We have a special guest today, Daniel Kramer, the son of legendary Packers guard Jerry Kramer. Daniel's got a book called Return to Glory. Return to Glory is a look back at the Packers' 1996 Super Bowl winning season through Daniel's photographs. With a foreword by Jeremy Schapp and afterward by Jerry Kramer, the book's release is time to coincide with the 20th anniversary of one of the greatest years in franchise history. Return to Glory takes fans onto the field, into the locker room, and finally to the Super Bowl in New Orleans. Thanks for joining us, Daniel. We'll get into some of the specifics of the book and your really interesting life here in a moment. But first, can you give us a Cliff's Notes version of the book? Yeah, so... 19... Summer of 96. I had just returned home to, to Green Bay after retracing Mark Twain's journey around the world. It was my first professional project after graduating with my master's degree in fine art in documentary photojournalism. And the last, that was kind of an epic project. It took me uh, 11 countries, 10 months, 9 credit cards is the way I... Oh, man. Right. And the last photo was a photo of Nelson Mandela with the Queen of England. And I was pretty pleased with myself, and I came back home to Green Bay, and, you know, the town was all about Brett Favre, and some of my buddies were hanging out at nights on Main, mm-hmm. uh, drinking beers with Brett, and Chewy, and uh, Frankie, and telling me stories, and he seemed to be just a regular guy, and, and also a amazing photograph uh, quarterback and so I wanted to do a photo of Brett with Bart Bart Starr mm-hmm. and I called my dad and I said hey let's pitch a pitch an, uh, an idea to Sports Illustrated I just wanted to a photo right right yeah so he said why don't you call Dick Dick Shap mm-hmm. no Dick had let me stay in his uh Manhattan apartment during my internship with Newsday. So that was a year before. So Dick and I were on very good terms, and I called him and made my pitch. And two weeks later, he called me back and he said, hey, you want to do the pictures for a book uh, about the two generations of Packers and how they kind of came together and the fans glue them together in the city and uh, I said, sure, I'd love to do that. And wouldn't you know the Packers go and they win the Super Bowl the year Dick Schaap does a book on it, right? So it's pretty amazing for a kid who grew up, you know, less than a mile from Lambeau Field 
to be on the floor of the Superdome photographing my team in the Super Bowl, and uh, my brothers were in the stands, and my dad, and <clears throat> what an amazing year. So Dick took my idea for an article and turned it into a book, mm-hmm. and then they used about 30 of my photos. It obviously wasn't a photo book, and they used about 30 photos, kind of small and black and white. I had no editorial creative control. And um, that was that. I was happy to be in the book. Dick had me had me along on book signings at Fuzzy's Bar, Shenanigans, and other places, and it was quite an honor to be with him. We did a book signing at the Packer Hall of Fame, in fact. Okay. Um, so the best thing that, had, that came out of that for me, maybe, was uh, an exhibit of 50 photographs that toured the state for three years. I got a grant from the Wisconsin State Arts Board to print the photos, and then they started at the Lee Yawkey Woodson Museum in Wausau and toured the, toured the state and ended at the Neville, well, what is that museum, the Brown County Library, Neville Museum. Yep, exactly, Neville Public Museum, yep. So that was pretty, pretty amazing for a kid just out of school to, you know, have a book and uh, a one-man show of his work tour the state for three years. It was some tall cotton, as Dad would say. So <laughs> now fast forward, uh, 2015, and being an entrepreneurial freelance photographer, I'm always looking uh, for a hook, right, to, sure. to hang a project on and to do a project. And I knew... Uh, that the 20th anniversary of that season was coming up. And I had been in touch with a photo editor, the director of photography, actually is his title, director of photography for Sports Illustrated and director of photography for Newsweek. Um, he had looked at my Packer pictures the year before, and he, he made an edit for me to use on my website. And so the next year I, I called him up and I said, hey, could you take a look at this, this take again? Uh, I'm thinking about doing a, a book, mm-hmm. 20th anniversary, and it might be a good idea. And he took a look, and he said, yeah, you got enough material, and you should do a Kickstarter. And I went, wow, you're right. You know, we're Facebook friends, so he knows how tied I am into the Packer alumni type of community. Mm-hmm. A lot of fans out there for my dad still. So I did a Kickstarter. In fact, I'm getting the Facebook memories that come up every day. Like, this time last year, I was right in the middle of the Kickstarter and wasn't sure if I was going to make my goal. I don't know if you know how it works or not, but if you don't make your goal, you don't keep any of the money. Okay. So, it was nail-biting time, and, and I did make my goal and exceeded my goal, in fact, and uh, then I hired a designer, and... That's about it. Self-published the book. I'm now distributing it. I have the website for it. Um, the Packer Pro Shop bought a bought a bunch of them. We had a signing there last Saturday, Dad and I. Mm-hmm. What a thrill that was to be signing autographs with your father. You know, like wow, that was a special day for me. So I, I'll get back to the book in a second. You know, I, I go to the scouting combine every year, and there's always you know five or six kids who whose dad played in the NFL. So, and I, and I always like to ask him this, 
what was what was it like to be Jerry Kramer's son? So I was born in '64, October of '64, and I was too young to go to the ice bowl. My brother and sister and mom made it through the first half, and then uh, mom sent the kids home. <laughs> uh, Mom's a trooper that she is; she stayed. So my parents got divorced. Oh, I'm not exactly sure. Maybe 1969, 1970, something like that. So I don't have a lot of memories, really, of my dad in the home. Okay. Um, the first time it came to light, I remember fourth grade. Uh, my fourth grade teacher, Mr. Gross, was a huge Packer fan. Mm-hmm. And he kind of made a bit of a to-do about me being in his class. I didn't really understand why. Wow, Okay. Really, it wasn't a whole lot. I didn't feel there was really any special treatment. I remember, <clears throat> let's fast forward to uh, JV football. And, you know, my natural physical size is I'm a linebacker, fullback kind of guy. I'm, right now I'm 6'1", 230. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I played. And I remember one of the defensive back coaches, we were, it was a rainy day or something, and we were in the gym, and we were running, and he had us start running routes. And he told us to run, run uh, what's it called now? Uh, a post route. Okay. I didn't have the foggiest idea what a post route was. <laughs> and he mocked me in front of the whole team. Jerry Kramer's kid doesn't doesn't even know what a post route is. What a what an idiot! You know? Wow. Okay. Wow, dude. Yeah. <laughs> Some pent up frustration there. Where's where that coming from? So I don't know how that I really had. I don't feel like I had any special treatment. You know, I've got an older brother uh, and an older sister, and I'm the baby of family number one. So maybe those guys' experiences were different than mine. I sure know that by the time I came along, you know, it was more like he's Tony Kramer's little brother. <laughs> yeah. So but, you know, uh, my dad, my dad, uh, moving forward, my dad opened up a whole new world to me that uh, that not many people were able to open up to their children. Oh, golf outings with Joe DiMaggio and Gale Sayers and stuff like that. And, you know, he gave me my first camera as I was leaving high school, heading to the University of Minnesota for college. Uh, I think, you know, he was well aware of what Vernon Bieber was doing. Okay. He thought the camera might be a, a route, a path for me. That's kind of exactly what happened. I ended up at the University of Minnesota and... I ended up, I wanted to be an architect. That was my first thought. Mm-hmm. It didn't work out, and I turned to writing. And I'm not a bad writer. I've actually won some awards for my writing. But that kind of then eventually led to photography. And, uh, I kind of lost my track where I was going. Well, you know, it's like you're reading my list of questions. I, I wanted to ask you, was, was photography always a passion for you, or, or how did that start? I guess, how'd you, how'd you get down this road? 
Yeah, so I played rugby at the University of Minnesota. I think I played five years. And the team needed some press, so I started writing articles, rugby articles. It was so funny because I'm interviewing my roommate. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Rich, how did you feel the defense played today? (laughs) It was hilarious. And that led to um, the last class I requirement I had to take was an intro to visual communications. Uh, oh, Lincoln, what's his name? Uh, David Ray Morris. R- David Ray. Ray is R-A-E. Okay. And David is a deadhead. And class was on Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. He'd come into class carrying a bag of warm muffins. <laughs> and he'd play Grateful Dead music in the background while he taught class. And I fell in love. I'm like, this is the counterculture type of thing that I'm really drawn to. Um, punk rock's more in my case, but anything counterculture was attractive to me. And David is a cool guy. I'm still Facebook friends with him today. He took my class assignment and published it, it was my words and my pictures, uh, double-page spread in the Minnesota Daily, and man, that changed my world. Seeing my words and pictures as a double-page spread in one of the largest college newspapers in the country, that was really intoxicating. And it was too late, though, because I had to go graduate. So I was a sports editor at a small newspaper in Sturgis, South Dakota. Oh, sure. It's a rally. And... Um, That lasted nine months, and then I uh, moved from there to a small newspaper in uh, Los Angeles. That lasted, well, I think two years, maybe. And then I returned to school in San Francisco to get my MFA. You you, you got into this right at the start, but talk about that trip. Uh, How did, what was the uh, inspiration for that trip? And and just kind of take us through that unbelievable journey. So I'm I'm sports editor at a small daily newspaper in Southern California, and, you know, there's no better training ground. I literally rolled the bulk film into canisters that I then shot and developed my own film, made my own prints, laid out the sports page, wrote the story, added the photo, you know, the whole thing was mine. And so it it was an interesting time period. I didn't get a lot of money. Um, and the, the editor of the magazine, I don't know what her newspaper, excuse me, uh, I don't know what prompted him, but he said, have you ever read Mark Twain's Following the Equator? I said, no, what's that about? He said, well, Mark Twain sailed around the world to pay off his debts, and then he wrote a book called Following the Equator. And so I read it. And I was just in love with it. Just wow. The idea of traveling. At that time I had I had been to Europe, traveled through some countries in Europe, but I took a marker, I actually took a marker and I started underlining passages in this book. Mm-hmm. And I fell in love with it. And then I found myself pursuing documentary photography and it wasn't too hard to, you know, draw a connection between the two. Well, a photographer, uh, here comes the 100th anniversary. Again, my thing with anniversaries, right? Yeah. The 100th anniversary of Twain's trip around the world. 
So uh, with the portfolio that I put together in San Francisco, I was selected as one of the top 100 college photojournalists in the country. I was selected to the Eddie Adams workshop where I met editors from National Geographic and Time and the Associated Press and Chicago Tribune and all these people, wonderful, amazing people. I'm still in touch with a lot of them today. Uh, and I started telling them about my idea and my plan and trying to market it before I left. And man, it was really hard, really hard to market it. And I really didn't succeed. So I'm still going to do it, right? My parents owned a travel agency and they were savvy enough and knew, when I say my parents, I mean my mom and my stepdad. Okay. Back. They owned a travel agency in Green Bay and they knew about this around the world plane ticket that wasn't really that expensive. And so I ended up buying one and I'll never forget, this is so funny. You know, we had the route down, we, we knew where I was going and I had created a shooting script kind of out of Twain's book, visually translatable excerpts. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and dad came to town about a week before I left and he had a dinner uh, with some Green Bay corporate execs and asked me if I wanted to come. And I said, no, I'm good. I've been to dinners before, and I don't want that. He said, you know, the, the Pointer Sisters are playing. I'm like, really? Because I love Motown. I just love Motown. So I said, okay, I'll go. And at the table were some executives from Shopko. And... You know, I'm, I can be very uh, quiet and shy, you know. Dad's telling his stories, and those guys are loving him and eating it up, and I've heard those stories many times before. <laughs> so I was pretty quiet, and Dad said, at one point, he says, Danny, tell me about your trip around the world. Okay. And I'm like, well, yeah, I'm retracing Mark Twain through around the world. What, what do you need to know? I was a little sullen about it, maybe. And the guy goes, wow, that sounds amazing. He said, uh, do you need any help? I said, no, I'm, I'm, I got it. I'm cool. My dad literally kicked me under the table. <laughs> Hard, too. And I'm like, well, well, like, what kind of help, you know, can you offer me? And he said, well, do you need any film? Okay. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Actually, yeah, I do need film. Don't know what I was thinking. Uh, my internship with Newsday, they gave me like 50 rolls of film to do this project. 50 rolls of film. Yeah, that's not going to go very far. That's 10 days. <laughs> <laughs> so the guy ends up giving me 2,000 rolls of Kodachrome and free processing. It was a $40,000 grant. Wow. Service. And I could not have done the project without it. It landed in my lap at the 11th hour because of my father. Just like him buying me the first camera, well, okay, he got me the ability, the, the grant, the ability to do that Mark Twain project. And then was supportive. Both he and my mom were supportive. Well, if this is what you want to do, then go do it. And National Geographic looked at the National Geographic Books Publishing Division, looked at the project when I finished it, 
they looked at it twice and they said, you know, this is an amazing project, but God, you can't sign a boat to save your life. And I'm like, man, this is like, I'm kind of kinkos putting this book together, literally. Uh-huh. I said, you know, I'm just presenting you with the material. And I kind of thought that, you know, you guys would shape it, put it into a form. And they said, you know, not anymore. These days, photographers are presenting us with ready-made, ready-to-publish uh, projects. Go hire a, a book designer and come back to us. Well, at that point, uh, 11 countries, 10 months, nine credit cards are maxed out, and I don't have a job. I'm living in my mom's basement, so the idea of paying 15 grand to a book designer never happened, never thought about it. It's funny because my mom and I have recently started that what-if game, you know, what if we had done that and National Geographic had published that book? How would that have changed my life? Would I have been a National Geographic photographer for the last 20 years? I think I'm good enough. Yeah, wow. Uh, but, uh, you know, no complaints. So that is that is that book still sitting there, ready to get published at some point in your life? Or, I mean, that that's, can't be per- that can't be outdated, can it? So it sat in the closet for a decade, and I went and I did the, the Packer project, and then I went and did a, a self another self-funded project on Cuba. I spent, over the course of three years, I spent six months down in Cuba, and then I had to get a job at the Houston Press, and Houston is an amazing city for the arts. Uh, especially photography. We have a lot to offer down here, and there's a, a festival called Photo Fest. It's the oldest photography festival in America. It's got to be, I don't know, 30 years old or something like that. happens every other year, and you pay $1,000, and you get to show your work to the who's who, the publishing, and gallery world. And I did this, I forget, I think it was, 2010, and so leading up to it, I said, Mom, let's let's find a graphic designer and put this book together. It cost us like 600 bucks. <laughs> you know, the price had come down a lot since the, the 90s, so for 600 bucks, uh, she made a PDF that incorporated my photos, my writing. Uh, one of the things I did was I researched, I went to the Bancroft Library and California, um, Berkeley or something like that. And I made copies of every letter that everybody, Mark Twain, his wife, his daughter, his manager, every, every letter that was written on that trip. And I was able to incorporate some of those excerpts of those letters into my writings, into my book. And then, um, she used maps and brought maps in and stuff. So we made a, a mock-up and published it, self-published it with blurb. Okay. And it's still, still on blurb, as is my Cuba book and my music photography book. Um, but, you know, blurb is, anybody can do a blurb book, right? Uh, they're expensive. They cost, I think it's like 120 bucks for a copy of my Twain book. And, um, you know, they're not, it's not a good a qual- as good a quality as my Packer book, for sure. Okay. Well, back to the Packers. I can show them to you. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Um, to the Packers part now. So you're back in Green Bay. What is it like to be a part of 
that season? I mean, you obviously grew up around the team and didn't know and know the history, and to come back and you know they've been god awful for twenty years, and, and now they're now they're on the cusp of greatness. What, what what's it like to be around that? Well, I'm ashamed to say that I drifted away during those twenty nine years, and and uh, Kenny Stabler and Cliff Branch and Marcus Allen, those guys captured my attention. Lester Hayes. So Brett made me a Packer fan again, just because of his demeanor, because of uh, his ability on field, because of he was actually more of a linebacker, seemed like, than a quarterback. All these things, uh, you know, it was it was neat hearing my my friends tell stories about hanging out with him at nights on Maine and whatnot. But I got to see him uh, in press conferences where he's cracking jokes that never made it, you know, in the newspaper or on the TV. He's cracking dirty, funny jokes, and he's got the whole room just laughing, and he's got so much charisma. It's so, so fun to be around him. I remember another little anecdote. I remember sitting at the back of the end zone as they were approaching to score, and Brett threw a pass, and the receiver missed it. It hit past my head, missed my head about maybe three feet or something like that. And you could feel the force of the pass and, and feel the wind and hear it. And the only thing I could liken it to was um, a Roger Clemens pitch fastball. I, I, I saw and photographed Clemens when he was a young pitcher uh, in Boston. And, my God, hearing the sound of his fastball hit the catcher's mitt, you knew there was something different about him, and you knew that about Brett, too. I mean, nobody threw as hard as Brett did. So that was cool. And Reggie, the whole thing with Reggie, he was such a leader, big man, uh, brought real uh, validity, maybe, back to the Packers. Mm -hmm. Respect. You know, uh, the whole package, it was such a miraculous year. Uh, all the, the pieces in place, um, you know, I think they were due, right? They came up short a couple of years against Dallas, and uh, we were ready. As fans, we were certainly ready, but I think as, as players, they were ready to get over that Dallas hump, too. It was pretty amazing being on the sidelines for those games, Uh I remember I would rent a long 400-millimeter lens from a camera store down in Milwaukee. They would ship it on the Greyhound. I would show up at the Greyhound station, pick up my lens, like on a Friday afternoon, and then ship it back down to them on Monday. Okay. And I think literally, like, my film was being developed by Walgreens, you know? <laughs> um, it, it's... Uh... You, it's, you were at, what, four regular season games and then two playoff games and a Super Bowl. Do I, do I have that right? No, I don't have a, a hard uh, number on that. I went to all the playoff games. I went to the Super Bowl. I, don't, I did not go to – I did not shoot every home game, I don't think. Okay, well, e either way, so it's, your, your book's got, like, 100, was it 108 photos in it? Is that what the, the, the count is? I'm not sure about that either. Okay, well, you, you know, have it written down somewhere. Okay, but what what's it like winnowing down? I mean, you must have hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds, and to, to pick out, you know, whatever's going to get published. What, what was that process like? 
that's why I needed Jimmy Colton. And uh, Jimmy, uh, he's just a great guy, and he gave my project validity. He told me there was a project there. He did the first edit for me. My mom has been my photo editor since the Twain Project. Not my sole photo editor, more like my co-photo editor. And uh, she's got a great eye and a feel, of course, for what is important about the Packers. So I think she and I talked about a few pictures that maybe Jimmy didn't like that we used anyway. I know, for example, the shot of Lambo during the blizzard. Uh, I had been warned not only by Jimmy but others that that photo was not going to reproduce. Okay. And I said, you know what? I'm doing it. That's Lambo and a blizzard. That's what it looked like. And I think it's one of the strongest pages in the book. Uh, you know, so, so Jimmy did a first edit. Mom and I did a second edit. But this is my fourth book now, so I'm accustomed to sequencing. And the sequence of the photos, to me, adds kind of a third dimension. You got the photo on the left and the photo on the right. And together, they come together, and they one plus one equals three now, right? There's a, a, a different effect created by good sequencing. And so that really helps you edit, you know? Like, well, this is a great photo, but it just doesn't fit in anywhere. It doesn't fit in the sequence. So, okay, then it loses. You know, uh, I'm not really a sports photographer, so... This is kind of unusual. I'm not really a street photographer, a photographer of kind of everyday life, moments of light and shadow and patterns and colors, and maybe that's evident in this book. I don't know if you had a chance to look through it or not, but there's not a lot of sports action. There's a little bit, but it's also a lot of portraits and a lot of fans, too, to try to give a a feeling for what it was like to be there at that time. It's, it's the relationship between Holmgren's Packers, Lombardi's Packers, and the fans who love them. So I, I'm sitting here looking at the uh, the Favre star picture. Um, what, what was what was that moment like? Was it a you know 30 second photo shoot, or did you guys hang out and shoot the breeze, or, or what was what was that like? You know, it's so funny because that came around after the book was published. Okay. And Dick invited me to this photo shoot in Lambo, And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. And he's like, well, are you going to bring your camera? And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know. So I got my camera out, and here comes Brett out of the tunnel. And it was literally one shot. Uh, I shot four, five, maybe six, but there was one where they both had their arms around each other and were looking at me. Mm -hmm. Just one frame. And um, then he was gone and, uh, and doing other things. So it was a miraculous moment, and I think it was a pretty amazing photo. Absolutely. So this, this might be like picking, you know, your favorite kids in, in my book, but... Is there, is there a favorite picture in, in your book? Well, probably the one of me and my dad. 
Yeah, in fact, I was looking at that one here a little while ago too. Yeah, talk about that one. You're, you're behind Jerry as someone else is taking a picture of him. Is that? Yeah, well, that's Vernon Beamer. That's the Packers photographer. And Vernon photographed our family. He photographed our Christmas cards back in like 1966, 67, that I still have and treasure that photograph. And, and I think uh, I look good and Dad looks great. And the memory that that photo brings back, you know, we were walking around the, the stadium, the inside of the stadium there. And as we walked around, you know, each section would applaud my dad and he would wave to him. And it was like, wow, you know, I grew up with this, but I had never seen it really before. Uh, it just never had happened. And that was one of the first moments where I like, you mean 65,000 people love you? <laughs> What's up with that? That's cool. I'm like shell-shocked, mouth open. Like, wow, I didn't, I didn't know. Yeah, and even through the, through the magic of Facebook, I've really gotten to appreciate his career more and more. People will share this. Look at this cool photo of Jerry kicking a field goal in the 62 championship. Like, wow. That is, he's like Babe Ruth out there. Wow, that's an amazing picture. So, yeah, I'm so I'm so blessed, you know, that all my parents are alive and still have good health and good brains with them and are sharp and um, so blessed. Yeah. He is. It is amazing. He's he's in a commercial at Lambeau Field that they showed during the games, and you know, I'm so busy. I don't I don't even know what the commercial is, but. The commercial comes on and the crowd goes crazy because it's it's Jerry Kramer. He is he's like the legend. He's you know my friend Rob Demosky from ESPN.com. He said he calls Jerry Kramer the coolest guy on earth. You know he he just is he's like the personification of that whole era. And he's you know while a lot of those guys have you know passed away or you know age has caught up to him, he just seems he seems ageless. I mean, I know he's got his own issues too, but he just seems ageless. It's it's uh it's remarkable. It really is. It is. I mean, of course, it's, they're sweet because, you know, his his buddies are, are, are falling away. You know, we lost Fuzzy, and I don't know what Bart's status is, but they certainly, uh, every year, there's less of them. All right, well, the most important question is, how do people get your book? Now, wait a minute. Let me back up now. I can't really pick a picture of me and Dad as my favorite, so let me think about that. Right. My favorite picture is probably the shot of Brett with his arms upraised. Uh, he just threw a touchdown pass uh, in the San Francisco 49ers divisional playoff game. And the thing that makes that picture special for me was I've been trying all season to you know, look at Vernon Beaver's photographs. That taught me, like, so much. And I wanted just one iconic photograph of Brett Favre. And I felt that I got that picture at that game with that picture. Because if you look at the background, you know, I don't, I don't you remember that game? It was, like, 33 what? degrees and pouring rain. Yes. It's the worst. And... God love Green Bay Packer fans. Nobody left. Look at that stadium. It's packed full, and they're all wearing their rain slickers. They're red, and they're orange, and they're yellow. 
and blue, and the background of that photograph looks like an impressionist painting. And there's Brett with steam coming out of his mouth. He's just thrown a touchdown pass, and they're going to win the divisional playoffs. That's my favorite photo. Although I do love the one of Reggie pointing to the heavens. I think that's about equally as strong as the shot of uh, Brett. Those are my two. I can't pick one. All right. Again, for the most yeah. of the, how, how do how do people get this book? Because people need to get the book. How, how do they get it? Sure. The website is Kramer's Return to Glory dot com, and I built that on my own website and uh, just order from there, and it'll it'll be delivered uh, within the week. All right, Daniel. I greatly appreciate your time. Thanks a lot, and and, and best of luck in this endeavor. Thank you, Phil. Once again, that is Kramer's Return to Glory.com. The cover of the book is great. Willie Davis, Brett Favre, Reggie White, Bart Starr. And that will do it for today's episode of Locked On Packers. Be sure to check out the rest of their great Locked On Podcast Network, including Locked On NFL and Locked On Giants, as well as Locked On Fantasy, and to read my work at PackerReport.com. Thanks, as always, for listening. Have a great day, and I will talk to you tomorrow. Is democracy in danger or decline? Condoleezza Rice, William Galston, and Carlos Gutierrez and others take on this question in the fall edition of The Catalyst, a journal of ideas from the Bush Institute. Surveys show Americans place less trust in institutions like the media and business. Others contend America has faced far more challenging periods and emerged strong. Leading policymakers, Bush Institute experts, and respected journalists take on this debate. Read about it at bushcenter.org slash catalyst.